0: Because they don't know what it means. I'm going to go where I've never gone before. Well, I have, but not, not to this detail. Anyway, this is a very controversial passage. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 12 to 14. <clears throat> and What we're really going to do tonight is just explain verse 13. Uh, so I titled this, United in One Body by Baptism. First Corinthians 12, verse 12, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now this, these, verse 13 in particular, is a verse, along with Ephesians 4, 4, and 5, of much confusion because of misinterpretation, particularly because of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. I'm to also go to Ephesians 4, verse 4 and 5. If you wrongly interpret 1 Corinthians 12, 13, you have to wrongly interpret Ephesians 4, 4, and 5. Um, where it says again Ephesians four four, there is one body and one spirit. You know that's not the problem. That's that's we all understand that. There's universal agreement about one body. No, not one body. One spirit. Um, there is one body and one spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So go back to First Corinthians twelve. As we think about the meaning of this passage, <clears throat> I'm just going to take the words, basically, of the verse and explain them, and then I think you'll come to the logical conclusion what the interpretation of this passage is. So, the first of all, for by one body, or one spirit, are we all baptized into one body? The word spirit, you know, there's, there's some, I guess, that even believe that this This is the spirit of unity and not the Holy Spirit. But again, if you look at context, which we are to interpret Scripture in its context, um, that's the reason there's the confusion about this passage. But anyway, in context, if you notice in verse 3, it says, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse, that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Uh, so, the Spirit of God leads one to confess Christ. Uh, verse 4 The Spirit of God disp- bestows diversities of gifts. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Uh, in verse 7, He manifests Himself to the overall prophet of the church. But the manifeta- manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all or the whole church. Uh, again, verses 8, 9, 11. Uh, talks about the Spirit. For to one is given this, by the Spirit the word of wisdom. So we have the word of wisdom by the Spirit. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another Spirit, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. And then verse 11 says, But thee, all these worketh that one and the self same Spirit, dividing to, to every man severally as he will. So the Spirit of God divides gifts as it pleases him according to his sovereign will, in the church, so the whole context is talking about the Holy Spirit. So he says, "By for by one Spirit are we all baptized in one body?" He's talking, of course, about the Holy Spirit. That's that's something I think we can kind of take for granted, although there is some confusion about that. Uh, but the second thing we, word we want to look at is uh, ver, the word "by." For by one Spirit, this is the word that gets many in trouble. And the thought is by many is that the word uh <clears throat> by properly translated has the holy spirit baptizing us into Christ literally. And so it can't be water baptism. If that's true, he's baptizing us into Christ or as they say into the body of Christ, quote unquote. And then it can't be water baptism, and it can't be the local church, if you're going to believe that. But the word by, here, and many other places it's used in context like this, simply means we are led by the Spirit. For example, look at verse 3 again, wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God. So here's talking about a man being led of the Spirit of God to confess Christ as his Lord and Savior. So he's simply led by the Spirit. So so he, he by the Spirit, uh, calleth, you know, no man calleth Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. It's used like this. Look at uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 27. Speaking about Simeon coming uh, to the temple to see the, the child Jesus, it says, and he came by the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. So he, again, by the Spirit, or by the influence or the leading of the Spirit, came into the temple. And again, chapter 4, verse 1, speaking about Jesus' uh, temptation, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So, you know, we can easily see, uh, look at a couple other places. Romans 8, Romans 8, verse 13 and 14. It's used this way here. Romans 8, 13 and 14. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die; but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So, so again, it just means that that under the influence or the direction or the leading of the Holy Spirit, they are baptized. Uh, Notice, notice. I want you to notice the last, the last half of this verse also. As we think about this, it says, uh, "Whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit." Now, that phrase, "drink into one spirit," you know, made to drink means to furnish or to saturate one's mind. So if a person if a person has been saved and they've saturated their self, their mind with the word of God by the spirit of God they're going to they're going to the, the natural the natural uh, fruit of that will be obedience to the Lord. And baptism is the first step of obedience. You know, we often say you are what you think. Ephesians four twenty three says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So, so if a person's mind's been saturated uh, uh, by the Spirit and filled with the Word of God, he's going to obey that Spirit, and they are and again, for by or by the leading of the Spirit, says you're baptized. Now. Okay? So so again, the word by here has the idea of led by or influenced by. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Third word, word body. <laughs> um, <clears throat> for as for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Again, in the context, I believe he's referring to the church at Corinth. The body of Christ or the church at Corinth. Notice again, verse 1. I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, go to chapter 1, verse 1. Who who did Paul write this epistle to? Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called an apostle apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. So the church of God, which is at Corinth. Um, and, And if you look at chapter 12, he says, you'll notice he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, Brethren, I would not have you, you ignorant. You know that you are Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols, even as ye were led. So, And then he goes over to verse 27 It says, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. So is it literally or figuratively? Are they literally baptized into the physical body of Christ? Oh, you say, that's, that's ridiculous, preacher. Yeah, it is, isn't it? So, what he's doing here, Paul is doing here, and you see this much in the scripture, he's using the human body to illustrate the necessary union and interdependency within the church and the relationship that the church, again, local, has to its head. Which is Christ? Of course, that speaks of complete authority over the church. Look at Colossians chapter one, verse eighteen. Colossians one eighteen, <clears throat> and he is referring to Christ. Uh, he is the head of the church, head of the body, the church. All right. So, so when he uses the word body here, it is referring to a local church. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 25 and 26, only in a local setting can verses 25 and 26 make sense. Notice what it says. That there should be no schism in the body, but that all members should have the same care one for another, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, how can you do that? How can that be applicable in an invisible, universal body somewhere? It can't. And if you're going to apply it like that, then you have to believe in the ecumenical movement. That we all got to work together. Whether we agree or do not agree. And that contradicts other passages of Scripture in the Bible about separation. So, in context, this word body here has to refer to a local, visible church. So, any way, it can really make sense. You know, does Christ, again, does Christ have many, well, you might ask this question, then. People might ask this question. Does Christ have many bodies? Well, think about this. Go, look at look chapter 11, verse 23 and 24. I think this will illustrate it for us. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered, also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was trade took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Okay, so he took a piece of bread, and he gave thanks, and then he said, Take, eat, this piece of bread is my body. Now, was it literally his body? No, we know it wasn't literally it's It's metaphoric or it's it's symbolic, okay but but then can he said, "This piece of bread is my body, so then only that piece of bread is symbolic, or can any piece of bread that qualifies meets the qualifications, unleavened bread, and used in the Lord's Supper by any church? Can any piece of bread be a symbol? Well, it's obvious. He wasn't saying, no, only this piece of bread is symbolic of my body. No, he's saying, if you have, you know, when you gather together, and he's telling the Torch of Corinth here, when you gather together, you're going to use unleavened bread, and that bread is symbolic it's not talking about an individual piece of bread. It's talking about an object. An object. And the same is true of any true church. You know, and, and this does no violence to any other church. Nor does it give it the impression anywhere or the idea that, that each church is just a composite part of something bigger or universal or invisible. Doesn't give that idea either. Yeah. Are your body parts part of something bigger somewhere? No. But, no, your body parts make one complete body. And the same is true of a church. 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 Again, Colossians, I want you to notice Colossians chapter 1, <clears throat> and, and this is where we, you know, we 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 get into trouble, <clears throat> we take things out of context. Now, Colossians one eighteen says this, and I want to read that again, and then I want to go to chapter 2. It says, and he is the head of the church, or I'm, I'm sorry, he is the head of the body, the church. So, he tells us what a body, the body in the scripture is referring to, it's the church, who is the... Beginning, the firstborn from dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So, so he's the head of the body. Speaks of authority. Go to chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, that is in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and then he says to the church at Colossae, ye are complete in him. No, just as, just like all your body parts make up one complete body, all the members of this church make up a complete church or body of Christ. So again, we're not talking about uh, we're talking about a body as an object, you know, because there's many of it. There's many bodies of Christ, just like there's many of us bodies here tonight, and yet there's one body, the church. Now, another thing that, that makes people question this interpretation is the word we. If you notice in verse 13, it says, For by one spirit are we all baptized in one body. Well, wait a minute, preacher. Paul included himself in that. I didn't know he was a member at the Church of God at Corinth. He's not. Because, look at again, look at the context. Notice verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would have I would not have you ignorant. For ye you know that ye were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols, even as ye were led. So is he including himself in those verses? No. Um, and you go through this whole passage. Well, verse 20, 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in the particular. Verse thirty one. But covet, earnest, covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I sh- show I unto you a more excellent way. And, and he uses, the, you know, he, he does this kind of thing. And, and, and again, there's no grammatical rule that we require to say that Paul used the word we. That means he has to be a part, or saying that he's a part of that body. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5 he said this, Ye are all the children of light and the children of day. And then he said this, We are not of the night. He said, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. Then he said, We are not of the night nor of darkness. So in one verse, he uses the word ye, referring to them, and he included himself. But, you know, it doesn't affect the teaching of it anywhere. So, so the use of the word we does not imply a universal church teaching. It doesn't imply it any way whatsoever. All right. Then the word baptize. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body whether we be Jew or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. The word baptize. Now, the universal church interpretation is that the Holy Spirit places or baptizes, quote-unquote, us into the body of Christ. It's a statement, really, of salvation, what it is. In other words, if you haven't been baptized into the body of Christ, you're not saved. I do have a question. Where in the Bible is baptism or salvation referred to as a baptism either in or by the Holy Spirit? It's not. It's not. The only place they would even say is here. Here. Now, Baptism again is used as a metaphor or as a symbol to describe salvation. You know, it pictures the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. You die to yourself and you resurrect a new life. Romans 6 Romans yeah, Romans 6 talks about that. We'll look at that maybe a little bit later here. So So it's used as a metaphor to describe salvation. But salvation is never referred to as a baptism. So what? And I'm going to go go to Luke chapter uh, 3 and also Acts chapter 1. So you might ask, what's this baptism of the Holy Spirit then? Well, go to Luke chapter 3. And I think this will help clear this up. Luke chapter 3. And I think I've got the wrong passage. Oh, here it is. John chapter 3, verse 16. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered, saying unto them, all, oh, I indeed baptize you with water. Now let me stop there and ask a question. What was the condition for John's baptism? Repentance. And believe on the one who is yet to come. So really, it it was the same as our message today. In fact, John baptized Andrew, Peter, and I believe James and John, and they were not rebaptized. Uh, again, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latch of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, notice this, not many days hence. Now, so again, so he says they're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Who... Is he speaking to here? Saved people or lost people? They're saved people. They're his disciples. There is disciples. They're saved people. And he said, You're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And of course, in Acts chapter 2. And verse, we see the fulfillment of this. <clears throat> and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, one of the, one of the meanings of the word baptize is Overwhelm. Overwhelm. So you know here in Acts chapter one, the disciples are promised the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter two, they get it. They were overwhelmed or they were influenced to the point by the Spirit of God you know they didn't get saved again no they were just so controlled or overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit of God that they could speak in other tongues other languages other understandable languages you you can very clearly read read that passage and it tells you all the different languages or dialects that were spoken that day and they were all understandable languages So so these people that were promised what was referred to there as the baptism of the Holy Spirit were all saved people. They were already saved. But, you know, according to those who would say this is teaching a universal church philosophy, say this baptism is synonymous with salvation. But again, the context of 1 Corinthians 12 is not salvation. It's not salvation. Notice what verse 1 says. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, what's the next word? Brethren. Brethren. So the context is not salvation. Uh, and he and you know, if you read all through this, the context of you know the context or the theme of the whole book of 1 Corinthians is not, is not salvation. It's salvation. Get over your competing with one another and work together in unity. That's the theme of it. You know, 1 Corinthians 3, he, he says you're, you're carnal because you're, you know, everyone's, well, you know, we've got this group saying, I'm following Paul, and one group over here said, I'm following Cephas, and another group over here saying, I'm following Apollos, and then you got the real spiritual ones saying, I'm following Christ. They're all bickering with one another. They're all exalted, each group's exalting themselves over the other one and trying to say they're better than this one and all this. And they're in competition with one another. You know, these people at Corinth had been led to confess Christ as Lord and Savior. Notice verse 3. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, calls Jesus a curse, that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And they had been led, again, by the Spirit of God to identify with the body of Christ at Corinth by being baptized in water. And that's what verse 13 is about. And so, and, and really, think about this. Let me read that whole verse again. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile. So there's, there's two distinct groups. You see how easy it be for division to be right there? And then he says, whether we be bond or free. And have been all made to drink into one spirit. So, again, if you go to Ephesians chapter four, go to Ephesians chapter four once again. The baptism referred to in 1 Corinthians 12, we believe to be water baptism, baptized into the body of Christ, the church, local church. And, and again, the context is is uh, uh, cease your individual con- competition and work together. And again, that's kind of the theme of Ephesians 4. Notice verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, how do you how do you keep the unity of the Spirit? Well, if you do, if you're all made to drink, as it says here in verse 13, into one spirit. In other words, you all saturate your minds with the Spirit of God. You're all gonna think alike. That's what he's saying. You know, the way you the way you keep the unity of the Spirit is you allow the Spirit of God to lead you, to influence you. You know, we may, we may work different jobs. We may have, uh, 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 we don't all look alike. You know, we're not hot dogs, and, you know, all made out of the same mold. We come from different backgrounds, but we can all agree on the things of God. You know, I always said, you know, Brother Francis is, is is as different from me as night and day. He's a city boy. No offense, but no thank you. I'm not a city boy. I'm just a country farm boy, you know. Uh, but yet we agree, and that's why we can work together in the gospel and in the body of Christ. When we come through that door, our differences are null and void. So that's how you keep the unity of the Spirit. It's by agreement. Uh, Then it says this in verse 4, There is one body. There's only one body. That's a local church. One Spirit. We know there's only one Holy Spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, we know there's only one Lord. There's only one faith, one, and there's only one baptism. You know, the, what was referred to uh, the baptism, of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, was a sign gift. It didn't happen. It didn't happen after the Book of Acts. It was like tongues. It ceased. There was no more. And so when Paul writes to Ephesus, he said there's only one baptism, and that's water. He's referring to water baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in you all. Uh, So, you know, the simple interpretation, and again, the reason reason this, this passage is so confusing, I believe, and by the way, you know, for years I didn't understand it. I thought I did. It was always very confusing, along with a lot of other things. But the reason it's so confusing is because of the Catholic Church and the Universal Church. That's where that Universal Church teaching came from, and then the Protestants pick it up. They didn't call it. They didn't call it Universal. Uh, uh, Martin Luther called it the Invisible Church. It was. It was up until that time. It was just called the Catholic, and that cat, word Catholic means universal. And of course, that's been adopted by the fundamentalist crowd. You know, the sad thing is, you know, probably up until 150 years ago, all Baptists believed this. The church was only a local body. Forrest Keener said this. uh, This verse is simply saying, All of you, whether Jew or Gentile, whether bond or free, have been led by the Holy Spirit to, by water baptism, unite yourself with this body, the church, at Corinth. Now stop for competing for position and preeminence as if you were a unit within yourself. And accept the place in the body to which God has sovereignly appointed you because you are by design of God all dependent upon each other. So as you think about it, you know again, if you if you notice the verses, and he said he said I have a track about this. He said it, that if you the, if you go to each chapter, almost every chapter, the first verse and the last verse really refer to, all right, you guys need to work together. You are a body. Um, for example chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and have angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. And then he ends it with, now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And he's and he, you know, he's talking about spiritual gifts and how they elevated all these spiritual gifts. But he said, if you don't have charity, the gifts were, the, the spiritual gift fight was dividing them. But if you don't have charity, those are the things that are going to remain. Uh, chapter 14, follow after charity. Verse 1, desire spiritual gift, but rather that you prophesy. Prophesying would brought them together. And then verse 40 says, the end of the chapter, let all things be done decently and in order. In other words, to be in unity. So, if we miss this truth, you know, we're going to have a wrong concept of this doctrine of the church and baptism being led by the spirit of God uh, in baptism. Uh, you know, baptism, as I said, is a metaphor of salvation. Go to Romans chapter six, Romans chapter six. <clears throat> I'm going to look at that just briefly. Romans chapter six. And again, the same people that would say, First Corinthians twelve thirteen refers to a universal church, refers to Holy Spirit baptism, being baptized into the universal body of Christ, would say that this passage of Scripture is not to be taken literal, it's figurative. I remember years ago, my brother-in-law was getting baptized, and the pastor asked me to come and... and uh, Reach a, a short message before the baptism it was down along the river, and so I chose Romans chapter six, and I gave a literal interpretation. And after I was done, he kind of reinterpreted it to be a figurative interpretation. And I thought to myself, and I was just young and you know real green behind the ears still, and I thought to myself, and of course he's a lot older than me, but but uh, and I thought to myself. I don't think. It's figurative. But notice what it says. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Notice that like as Christ." See the word like as. okay? So just like it's a a metaphor but he's talking here about literal baptism Christ's death his burial was literal his resurrection is literal and so he's saying baptism is a metaphor of that. Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we we also should walk in newness of life. So, So he was resurrected with a Was he just like he was before he went in the grave, when he came back out? What did he have? He had a glorified body. Okay? Uh, Notice verse 5 and 6. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So, Baptism is really a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it's a testimony saying that I'm resurrecting my old life. I'm dying to my old life. I'm no longer going to be in control of my life. I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to yield to God. He's going to have control of my life. And I'm going to walk in newness of life. It's a testimony or a metaphor of salvation. I've died to self. I've received Christ as my Lord and Savior. And now I have a new master. It's not me. It's thee. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not. I, but Christ liveth in me, in a life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So baptism illustrates death to the old nature. Notice it says that the body of sin might be destroyed. The word destroyed there in verse 6 means to render powerless of none effect. It's putting to death. Uh, it said that, that he will not have no, no dominion. Uh, if you notice in verse 9, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Uh, it speaks of new life, resurrection life. Uh, verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Um, and then in verse uh, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not on the law, but under grace. So, so this is a, you know, baptism is a picture, a metaphor Of salvation. Dying to our old self. Resurrecting to new life. It's it's a metaphor of Christ's death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That's why it's so important that we baptize by immersion. If, If we would pour, we destroy the metaphor. Destroy the metaphor. So is baptism important? Yes, it is important. Baptism is the entrance into the church, the body of Christ, of which he is the head. You know, I would say that somebody that doesn't want to be baptized doesn't want Christ as their head. Because he's the head of the church. You know, my head controls has authority, tells the rest of my body what to do. All the, all the, all the, all the, from what I understand, you know, all the instruction comes from up here. That's why there ain't much going on. All the instruction comes from up here. The head. Christ is the head of the church. We should, be, we should desire if we are saved to be a part a body part of that body of which he's ahead. So baptized by one spirit into the body um, and again it's water baptism you know, it's being led by the spirit to be baptized into the church, the body of Christ. Might we understand that truth and might we um, practice it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the simple instruction that, that your word gives us. Lord, help us to uh, rightly divide it. Help us to understand these truths and the importance of water baptism. Lord, we um, do thank you again for the simplicity of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask your blessing on the prayer time. Your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name.